0: You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa.
1: Well, you seem to talk about it every day when it's really hot. Boy, we got to really give Mother Nature some credit today. It's just a beautiful day. I could actually go out and walk around and, and play golf. Tough. and when 84 is the high and 64 is the low, I'm pretty okay with the world. Anyway, welcome into Big Noon Sports with Matt and Lars. Our producer is Justin Jones. The show is presented by Haley Sensing Union Home Mortgage. I guess top of the fold today, Lars, would be the fact that uh, Florida State didn't say anything. So... Florida State will remain a member of the ACC for the upcoming season in 24. But I think in 25, all you know what breaks loose with maybe more
2: than the Seminoles. How are you, Lars? I'm great. Good afternoon, Matt. And, um, you know, walking outside this morning, you could just feel that first whisper, that first like soft kiss of, of fall of autumn uh and and i love that i love this day every year in august when you can uh when when you just are outside and you are enveloped with the feel of football weather i love it i love it matt and i
1: understand but we'll but and and i feel the same way but we've got some
2: a, a, a lot more heat headed our way. <laughs> I know, I know. It's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's like a, it's a yeah, it, it is. It is. It is. It's, um, well, I don't want to go and do a crazy metaphor, but yes, it is a tease. <laughs> it's a big time tease. And, uh, you know, the Florida State, uh, issue is, I, I just, I don't think they had the dance partner. Uh, you know, I, I think that they were flirting, to keep using s- some language, uh they were flirting with the Big Ten, I think, behind closed doors. And for whatever reason, that didn't work out, probably because the Big Ten couldn't find a second school to to join Florida State to go with them. But um, are, are, are you surprised? that uh after all of the the blustering uh by uh, top officials from the school about how upset they are with the acc that ultimately that they uh they uh opted to uh, stay in the conference for at least another year for the foreseeable future
1: i think at first because they came out with both six guns you know we're getting out of here y'all are bad um but then it really turned, turned quiet, and then it has been silent over the last couple of weeks. So I'm not surprised they did it. I would have been surprised maybe after they had such a big show talking about it. But maybe it, maybe they couldn't get a, what, a North Carolina or a Clemson or somebody that's a big dog in the ACC to join them. Does it also not say that perhaps the ACC, after looking at some of the information Florida State passed to them, like... How much they're watched as opposed to everybody else, signs Clemson. And how much they mean to that league financially. I haven't read anything, Lars, but maybe the ACC ponied up to keep them in. You think?
2: I, I you think, think it's possible.
1: a piece of the pie?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's possible. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, that... <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's a report on ESPN that um, that the ACC, um, you know, that, that they had they had thought about adding Cal in Stanford and um, they thought I think a lot of people in the, a lot of the conference uh, 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 presidents thought that they had the votes and uh, ultimately uh, Clemson, Florida State, North Carolina. Uh, all voted against adding, uh, uh, noted, excuse me, uh, voted against adding Cal and Stanford. And I think that also may have been enough just to sway Florida State to stay. Because if you add Cal and Stanford, as we talked about, um, you know, on, on paper, it would look good right because you're adding these two great sort of uh, academic inst- institutions to the conference but what financial value do they bring? Not much uh, because uh, you, you're just not going to get a lot of eyeballs attracted to uh, games with Cal and Stanford and, uh, and what Florida State didn't want was more dilution of the uh financial pie right and uh and and so i think the fact that they were able to kind of get enough votes uh because they uh, didn't have enough of the yes they needed 12 of the 15 schools of the presidents to say yes and uh they ultimately couldn't get there um that uh i think that just helped uh helped florida state make up their mind to at least stay for now. And, um, it'll be interesting to see how it all shakes out in, in the future. I mean, will, will the ACC ultimately be a survivor? And, uh, I think for now it looks good for them.
1: And all this comes back in our conversation to the Southeastern conference, where I think they probably would have, uh, leaned towards the big 10 here. Now, you know, there's another year in play here. And, um, there can be more talks between Sankey and uh, other mem- member institutions in the ACC and, and, and other conferences as well. Um, I still maintain that uh, Florida State and the North Carolina combo would be mine. Maybe a uh, Florida State and a Clemson combo. Um, but, you know, North Carolina is a state university. Lars, I don't know about you. I still think that means something. Right? You're <laughs> oh, a I- state you are the university at North Carolina. I think that means a lot, and that's probably that in basketball would sway me to thinking to have them in the Southeastern Conference. But uh, it's another day and another entry into the realignment situation. There is really one bizarre one, and I don't like these people that post fake news. And then what am I going to do? I'm going to get on there and talk okay. about fake news. Did you see the one that, uh, and they did a great job. They put all the logos. They had an East. They had a West. They had an ESPN, Apple logo for who was going to be the TV rights holder. It was called the the PAC, the Pacific American 18. And it was taking a, a collection. I hear you typing. Try and Google it. It,
3: <laughs> it, was,
1: it was on Facebook, and a guy I know posted it saying this is, got to be a joke and it is. I can't find anything on it, but it, it took to the few that were left out west and including Callens and Stanford, and then it included uh, Rice and North Texas and UAB, um, in the, and there was an east and a west division, it, it was interesting to look at, uh, I didn't buy it, I just looked at it, uh, I window shopped that particular page. But I was amazed at, at something. This has nothing to do with the realignment of conferences and all that. I am continually amazed, and now I don't know why, at how much effort people will go to to produce fake news. I mean, they're using logos of the teams. They're using the ESPN red, you know, character logo. Um. I'm not very fond of it. Sometimes I see them and they're just downright funny. but And that's okay. But, um, Lars, these people are as crafty as the regular media when it comes to putting this stuff
2: together. I wish they wouldn't do it. No, I, you're absolutely right. And uh, I've been increasingly frustrated with this. And it, it is, on social media, it is almost impossible to discern fact from fiction. I mean, we really... We truly are in a post-truth era where the truth doesn't, right? It's just sort of how many clicks can you get? And it is it is as frustrating no as anything. no
1: accountability held when somebody does that anymore.
2: Used to, Lars. Yeah, I mean, and I, look, yeah, I, I was just going to say, I think nice Elon. You got hammered. Your, your peers yeah.
1: would hammer you. Now it's just okay. Yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, and uh, Elon Musk has absolutely just ruined Twitter uh and now X, uh whatever he's calling it. Uh it, it, because it, the the blue check mark that you used to have by uh your name meant that you were verified and that uh you did have accountability uh for your uh actions on that uh social media medium and now uh if you're willing to give him some money anybody can have the 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 blue the blue check mark therefore you can't tell who is uh legit and who's not legit and uh it it just uh, causes a muddled mess and uh i have so many friends uh that have just left the uh have left twitter and, uh, you know, people with uh, followings of uh, 50,000, 100,000, I mean, really substantial followings.
1: That's money-making Twitter.
2: Yeah, yeah. and uh, they, But they've left because it, it's just uh, uh, you, you can't tell fact from fiction anymore, as I said. You know, Matt, on the other side, we have got to circle back and talk about this Michael Orr story because it just got more bizarre.
1: Oh, and every time it gets more bizarre, it gets sadder. Feel-good story is absolutely
2: blown up. And what did, we, what did we say? Sorry, Matt. What did we say yesterday? What was the key question? Why is Michael Orr doing this now? Yeah. Well, I think uh, the the E's have uh, offered their response.
1: Yeah. man. Um, boy, it's not like they put gloves on. <laughs> hey, you're listening to Big Noon Sports. We'll be back in a minute. Nine Tuscaloosa weather.
0: Lots of sunshine this afternoon. The high in the mid to upper 80s at 87. Clear and pleasant tonight. Below 64. We stay dry tomorrow and Friday. Lots of sunshine both days as the weather heats up again. The high tomorrow 90. The high Friday 94. I'm James Fan on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 84 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
4: The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon
1: Sports. <laughs> Presented by Haley Hansing, Union Home Mortgage Michael Ower an all-American tackle at Ole Miss we've seen the movie Blindside and all of the love and generosity showed by the Tuies. he claims that's not necessarily the case and he was never really adopted uh, and that they made huge amounts of money off uh, of the film itself and I watched the movie. It made me feel really good. Now I just really think it sucks. Um, and I, I don't know who to believe. But I have a lean now. And here's the reason why. Because the latest is what you're going to bring up. Is that, um, let's see. The attorney for the Sui said they have consistently treated him like a son and one of their three children. His response was to threaten them, including saying that he would plant a negative story about them in a in the press unless they paid him 15 million dollars usually in stories like this the middle is somewhere in in the 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 middle is is where you find the story Uh, the one thing that troubles me about anything like this Lars and you're the same way is
2: why now yeah I mean that still is uh, a big question um, but, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, the attorney for Leanne Tooby and, and Sean Tooby, uh, the couple who adopted, uh, Michael Orr, basically said that, uh, that, um, that Michael Orr attempted a, a shakedown on, on the couple for $15 million before he filed that petition alleging that the Toobys had lied about adopting him while making millions off of his name. And uh, just to reiterate, on on Monday, Michael Orr uh, uh, in a uh, legal uh, petition to the court um, said that the Tui family did not legally adopt him but instead tricked him into making them his conservators before earning millions and millions from his falsified life story, which the film The Blind Side was based on and uh and then uh you know the attorney for the uh Tui's is now saying that they they opened their home to mr Orr, offered him structure support and most of all unconditional love and um and then the, the uh attorney for the Tui family went on to say that uh mister Orr's response was to threaten them, including saying that he would plant a negative story about them in the press unless they paid him fifteen million dollars. Okay, Matt. I, I why why is this all playing out in public? Like, I, this is what I don't get. Like, the, the first shot over the bow was fired by Michael Orr. And, and, and why bring this up now? Is he under some financial distress? Does he need $15 million for some reason? Um, or is there actual truth to what he's saying? And if there is truth, why didn't it come out earlier? Why did he wait? I mean, Michael Orr is a grown man. He's 37 years old. He made millions and millions of dollars in the NFL. You wouldn't think that he would necessarily need the money, but it's almost just like there's more questions than answers at this point. And it's just, uh, I think the overwhelming feeling that I get when reviewing uh, everything that is happening here, it's a feeling of sadness that uh, that this is obviously a fractured relationship and uh, and now it's just coming down to uh, a money grab. What, what what is your what is your assessment of all this, Matt?
1: Well, I, I think one thing is pretty true, and I think we read this long before the lawsuits and all that started here over the last couple of weeks. But um, at first, I thought the movie was probably pretty much based on the truth. Uh, now I think maybe it was embellished for the sake of cinema. Uh, a lot more, maybe a lot more than we originally imagined. Uh, yeah. I, I can tell I could give you one side and then the other. Let me do that. Uh, yeah. First of all, maybe the TUIs are witty and financially savvy, and they figured out a way to capitalize. Um, and, and maybe they're not as generous as we think. I, I, I struggle to say that and much less believe it. Um, on the other side, you know what has happened in a situation like this in the past Lars is maybe Michael and I, I haven't even looked it up maybe he's uh, he wasn't really financially smart and was and guess what somebody comes from around the corner and says hey Michael here's a way and then he gets conned into or talked into bringing this all up and for them to that side, according to the Tui's attorneys, to threaten some type of um, press um, story, lie, uh, for $15 million, that's that's pretty unbelievable to me, too. But I know one thing, they can't do it now. Yeah. Credibility is pretty much shot in that regard.
2: Well... Okay. The 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 plot does thicken a little bit here and I do have some knowledge of this. So Michael Orr just uh released released a book and the ghostwriter on the book was uh my friend Don Yeager, uh, who I worked with at Sports Illustrated uh, and I have done work with Don just in the last, uh, you know, what, what year, year and a half. Like, I, I helped him, uh, ghostwrite, uh, two different books. Um, I don't know if I should say who they're on or not, but, uh, why not? Uh, one of uh, Rick, Rick Hendrick, and that, the book really wasn't for publication, but, uh, it, and then also, uh, helped him with a book on, uh, the, uh, basically the, the founder of Outback Steakhouse. Uh, the guy who created the bloomin' onion. I know more about the freak, freaking bloomin' onion than anyone <laughs> in the world outside of the guy who created it. Uh, and by the way, the bloomin' onion, uh, for those who are interested, which is probably about one person, it is the most, uh, well-sold appetizer in the history of appetizers in the history of human existence um but anyway yeah so so don uh worked with michael on a book all right the book is now out just released uh like last week and so what the twoies are alleging in their counter uh to uh the allegations that michael or made Was that, uh, one, they finally found a, uh, a, a lawyer willing to, uh, be an enabler and, uh, you know, uh, a lawyer who is like basically dumb enough to take on this, uh, frivolous case and, and file it. And then two, that it's a cynical attempt to drum up attention in the middle of a book tour. Okay. So. (laughs) The, the, the timing by Michael Orr is one thing, right? The fact that it, it is coming out right when he releases a book. But also <laughs> uh, the fact that the uh, Toohey's are using the book as a way to explain what's going on. I, I, I don't know. It just clouds the situation. But it does l- reveal a little insight into the possible motivation Behind the allegations made by Magalore. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, is there anything, and I haven't read the book or even read a review of it, is there anything in the book that uh, throws shade on the twoies? Is
2: that uh, no. what started I, 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 Well, that's a good question. I have not read the book either. Um, and uh, I hate talking about books that I haven't read. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think it's uh, geez yeah, I, I, I honestly don't know, but I, I just, I do know that, you know, the Michael Orr story, it has been complicated from the very beginning. And uh, he is doing book signings around the country right now. And um, it's it, it, it's just, and we're also now seeing that uh, Michael Lewis, the original author, of The Blind Side who also wrote Moneyball now uh he is being just sort of lit up for omissions uh that he uh left out it's had a double I don't know uh but omissions from uh, both books uh Moneyball and The Blind Side and uh so he's getting dragged into this and it, it, the whole thing is just a mess. It is it is an absolute mess. And and uh, you know, as an author myself, i i I don't I don't like to uh, attack other authors because, I, frankly, I, I don't know I, I don't know about uh, Michael Lewis and and uh, and what he did or did not leave out of both Moneyball and The Blind Side. Um, I've always really respected him. And obviously, uh, especially Moneyball, like that book changed how baseball is played. I mean, you, you, again, you're, you're the baseball expert here, right? And, uh, Moneyball was just, uh, uh, a game changer for, um, you know, using analytics and in the incorporation of analytics to determine who Still you want. Today. Who yeah, yeah, who who you want on your roster how. and who you don't. And and now and now that that the, the analytics have spilled over into everything in sports. And it all started with Moneyball. Um and great movie. It was a good movie. Brad I thought Brad, that may have been one I, you know, people like people are critical of Brad Pitt. I think Brad Pitt is an amazing actor. I agree. His range is unbelievable for what he can play, in my estimation.
1: Um, it it took uh, an actor of great skill to play that role um, as a former big leaguer that was troubled. Um, the scene where he goes ballistic in the locker room when they're dancing after a loss is just one of the best scenes in sports cinema. Um, but yeah, <laughs> now I turn this into let's love on some Brad Pitt. But that movie did change. The, and uh, I can't remember. I'd like to give the guy credit. Uh, the guy from Harvard that, um, well, what's his name, played in the movie. That He's the one that came up with the idea it's more important to get on base than anything. Because you get people on base, you score runs, you score runs, you win. I believe Bruce Cunningham from Baltimore told us last week that they, the Orioles are using a lot of those analytics. And other teams use it. But the one thing about that particular way of playing baseball is it'll win you some games, but it never
2: wins at all. You know, um, Matt, I I Matt, I've said a lot of stupid things in my life, but yeah. maybe this the the the, the, uh, the topper involves Brad Pitt and Angelina it goes to when Angelina Jolie uh, her film team optioned uh, one of my books Uh, um, uh, Carlisle versus Army and I was talking to Angie as everybody calls her and uh, she was like well you know things are going a little slow because of what's going on with Brad and I and I literally said to Angelina Jolie Brad who whoa yeah uh,
1: your deal your deal might have fallen quicker than it uh, did before. You said, "I just, brilliant. I just you wasn't over." I just,
2: I did, I did. Yep, that I stand a... up, taking acknowledge I acknowledge. When they it. write a book of your life story. We're going to call it Brad. Who? That's the lead. That's the lead <laughs> anecdote of my life story. Yeah, yeah put it on have, my uh, epitaph, Brad. Who? And I've never work. heard
1: that story. <laughs> God. Uh, hey, we're gonna get back to some Alabama football and all when we welcome in Mike Rodak from Bama 24-7 in just a minute.
2: The 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number two three zero three seven six. From T Town to
4: the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports.
5: You know what I tell the quarterbacks is it's not up to the coaches. You're looking over your shoulder to see if the coach is going to do this or that. How about you forcing me to play? Forcing me to play you. Force us to play you. When you get your reps and you get a chance to play, you play so good, we, we don't have any choice but to play you, rather than worrying about all this other stuff. So that's the only way I can answer your question.
1: And a good one and a good response by Saban. And uh, not only does... um he give a a, a a good quote for us to use in the media. Man, is he throwing down the challenge on those three quarterbacks? Let's talk to Mike Rodak from Bama 24-7 about this and all things Alabama. Brought to you by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker. Uh, Mike, how are you, first of all? And uh, what are your thoughts on savings observations for quarterback?
6: Doing well, a little bit less uh warm than you know the past couple days so that's nice but uh definitely was a little bit warm on the quarterbacks. the heat is uh is is being cranked up and um you know it's one of those situations where you know you listen to Saban long enough and you can kind of tell sometimes he'll get a question and it hits on a certain theme in this case it was quarterback I think he really only heard the word quarterback and he didn't really hear the rest of the question because the actual question was about off the field leadership and communication and Saban just really said what was on his mind about the quarterbacks and, and sometimes that just happens where again you throw out a topic and he really has something on his mind and you could tell that this was it. And um it's look, I I, I did not interpret it as a great sign for where mm-hmm. The quarterback position stands where the competition stands um you know it's something that he's been harping on for a while now um obviously going back to media days but also early in camp talking about somebody needing to take the bull by the horns um somebody needing to separate themselves and after last night it's you know it's pretty clear that hasn't happened yet uh that there hasn't been a quarterback that has done that otherwise he, he really wouldn't have said that um and you can tell that you know thanks to the quarterbacks they're looking over their shoulder too much and and they're not um, you know doing what they need to do essentially to win the job that they're trying maybe not to lose the job so it's uh it's an interesting situation that you know they can keep dragging this on and you know there's there's no need really to name a starter for the Texas game now they can kind of go on and you know maybe they'll name a starter for the middle Tennessee game but that's not the guarantee for the Texas game it's just it just keeps on going and going. I don't sense from Nick Saban that he's ready to permanently pick a starting quarterback yet.
2: So, this is an obvious answer, probably, but um, Nick Saban's frustrated at this point with the quarterback play. Is that safe to say?
6: Yeah, I, I think that's certainly fair. That's that's what I wrote this morning. You know, it, if he was truly happy and satisfied somebody asks a question about the quarterbacks and, you know, he says, um, you know, I've liked what Ty has done, or I've liked what Jalen's done, or I like how that group is progressing. But every single time he's been asked a quarterback related question, it's it's been some sort of a challenge. And um it's just he's handled those questions differently than, you know, asked about running backs and he's pretty happy. Ask about you know, offensive line or inside linebackers, and generally, it's a pretty good response. Quarterback, it's not not the case when you when you listen to them. So, um, yeah, I do think there's a level of frustration, a level of you know, just needing, like you said, someone to step up and, and win the job.
1: Let's talk about some other positions that you're hearing about through practice. Uh, is anybody stepping out at wide receiver?
6: Uh, you know, I think it's, it's the guys that we kind of already knew about or, or projected to be the starters and, and Jacore Brooks and Jermaine Burton. I think there was a, a big catch that Jermaine Burton had in the scrimmage, um, last Saturday. You know, I would be surprised if, if they go out week one and it's not Burton, Brooks, and, and Isaiah Bond to start. Uh, with that said, I mean it's still a question of you know when are they going to use Malik Benson? How much are they going to use him? Uh, can he emerge as that deep threat if he does? Does he become one of the top two guys, one of the top three guys? I think that's that's the big question. But it doesn't seem like there's a major shakeup at that position where you know Kendrick Law or Shaz Preston or Emmanuel Henderson or Kobe Prentice is really going to get a starting opportunity. Now that might change and evolve over the course of the season, but right now it seems like Brooks and, and Burton are the two guys. Mike,
2: um, did you learn anything from talking to your sources about uh, this team and uh, based on what transpired on in, in the scrimmage on Saturday?
6: yeah I mean it, it's it's always a small piece of the puzzle you know I think sometimes it gets um, magnified a little bit too much, you know what happens in the scrimmages because ultimately, there's a whole. There's week and a half of practice before that. There's a week of practice this week. There's a second scrimmage this weekend. There's another week of practice next week. There's a week of practice before the Middle Tennessee game. There's a Middle Tennessee game. So it's just one, three to five percent of the picture. Um, but it, it does seem like you know Jalen Milrow had a good day. Um, you know, for a running game standpoint, that that seems to be coming along well. And defensively, there's some. Some good things that were happening, um, but again, it's it's all it's, it's one piece of the bigger puzzle. It's also weighed against anything good that happens for the offense is bad for the defense. Anything good that happens for the defense is bad for the offense. So um, you can't, in, in totality, take a ton away from it until you're watching them playing against a different team. But you know, it, I don't think it's a case of you know this team is. Is firing on all cylinders and and you know like nothing's wrong I don't also think it's the case of you know the sky is falling like like I think in the usual it's right kind of in the middle
1: what, what's the role of tight ends and, who, and who's lining up in that slot
6: so there's really three to four different guys um that you know can really I think see playing time this year um I, I don't you know, it's going to be, it's going to be dependent on the situation. Um, is it a short yardage situation? Are they in a more of a passing, you know, third and long situation? I think if it's short yardage. We might see more of a guy like Danny Lewis, who I think has really come along was a freshman last year and, um, you know, had a really good spring and by all accounts had a good fall camp so far. And, you know, Robbie boots, who's been in a blocking H back type role now for a couple years. If it's more of the passing situation, then you have C.J. Dupree. You know, I think, by all accounts, has, has been fine this fall camp. And then Amari Nyblock is really the the guy who seems to have come along the, the furthest where, you know, he had a little bit of a role in the offense last year. I think he had a big drop that I'm remembering at the top of my head. But didn't do a ton as a freshman. But he's kind of considered the most athletic the most dynamic uh, receiver of that tight end group and, um, you know, had a really good scrimmage on Saturday, caught a couple touchdowns. And Nick Saban was very complimentary of him yesterday, uh, needed to get better as a blocker because that's, you know, still part of his tight end role, but he could very well, you know, for talking in December about the tight end position, could very well be their, their leading receiver among their tight ends.
2: Uh, Mike, uh, Pro Football Focus, which is a, a group that I, I really trust, um, they came out and essentially said that uh, Kool-Aid McKinstry is the best player, the best defensive player in college football. And um, it, 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 do, do you agree with that? And uh, also, do, do you think Kool-Aid has the chance to be like a uh, Marlon Humphrey type of shutdown corner? And then by extension, what does that do for the rest of the Alabama defense?
6: Yeah, you know, as far as whether I agree with it, you know, I, I think it's hard to argue. Uh, at the same time, sometimes it can be tough to compare, you know, a defensive tackle that's Doing one thing and a pass rusher is doing another thing and a corner is doing one thing. Like they all might be great at what they do in their particular roles, but how do you compare, you know, one to the other? But among cornerbacks, especially the guys who are eligible for the draft, it really seems like he's right up there. You know, I think ESPN did a thing over the summer where they were kind of doing some early rankings and he was the number one cornerback available. He was a potential top 10 pick, but. You know, it's interesting. I I remember it, people asking me about Patrick Sertain when he was coming out, and he, he, there's some games where it's like you don't even notice. You have a, a shutdown corner, quote-unquote. You don't really notice him because the quarterback's not throwing the ball that way. There might not be a lot of interceptions that that guy gets, but, again, it's in part because the quarterback's just avoiding that that corner and that side of the field, and he's doing such a good job of covering your receiver. So, you know, like people call me about, Sertan's, you know, draft um, profile, and I'm like, well, there's not a whole lot of games where I can be like, man, I'm, I'm watching Patrick Sertan, or I remember something that happened with him. But that's a good thing uh, when you're a corner that you're not remembering a big pass interference penalty or a big catch that he allowed. And obviously, Sertan's become a great corner in the NFL, and I feel like Kool Aid's, you know, was kind of in that same category last year, right? I didn't feel like I was talking about him a whole lot, but that's a good thing. And, and by all accounts, NFL scouts really do seem to love him.
1: Uh, we don't talk about them, and there's a, you know, they're literally a third of the game, but um, Bama's very solid uh, with punting and kicking, because they're both returning starters, um, Reichert and James Burnham. Everything good in that department, I'm assuming.
6: Yeah, it's three years in a row that they've had kicker and a punter and a long snapper too, Neil and Hibbert, which is a little bit rare, you know, have three guys together like that. And um, Saban was certainly happy with that group when he was asked about them, I think, last week, and... Um, you know, you get Riker back, uh, which yeah, people might remember the Tennessee kick at, that he missed at the end last year. But generally, had a pretty good year. Um, I don't know if his last two years have been as good as his, his 2020 season, um, but that could have factored into him coming back for a fifth year and kind of making sure that he was in a solid position for the NFL. Uh, that does push back um, uh, Connor Talty, the, the freshman kicker they have coming in, where he's still probably not going to play this year. Uh, but you know that's not a big deal, and you know burn-up, I think was was solid last year, probably not at J.K. Scott level, but very few are, and um, no, I I don't really foresee that that area of the game you know being an issue for him uh, this this year at all.
2: Uh, Mike, that's. <laughs> To me, kickers have always been fascinating, uh, with Nick Saban. And, uh, and, and I say that because, uh, not recently, but in the past, uh, Nick Saban has struggled with his kickers, uh, more so than you would expect. I mean, you would even have, he would, he would sign like the, the top kicker in the country suddenly gets to Alabama and he struggles um and and to me the the only consistent theme in all of that was that Nick Saban was the coach is there something to that like that uh, that the kickers just get intimidated by coach Saban
6: yeah you know it's funny I did a story on that a couple of years ago um and you know there might be something to it I actually talked to a kicker who played for Bear Bryant and, you know, you talk about intimidating coaches. He's probably number one on the list. You've probably ahead of Saban. And, uh, but apparently Bear Bryant would just be completely hands-off with his kickers. Like, he would not talk to them. He would not coach them. Just would pretty much ignore them and let them do their own thing. And, uh, you know, I, I, I get the sense that Saban's pretty similar. Like, I don't hear of anything where he's, you know, real, um, you know, overbearing with his kickers at all. But, yeah, I mean, there's been... A lot of instances of, you know, probably the most notable since my time has been Joseph Bolovis at the end of the Iron Bowl in 2019, missing that kick. But, you know, Riker's the best kicker that Sam has had, I would say. And um, when you have that level of talent coming in and he's reliable and doesn't seem to get overwhelmed by the moment, then, you know, I don't think coaching matters a whole lot in that case.
1: Who was the guy you interviewed that was a Brian kicker? Do you remember
6: uh Davis was his last name. I'm oh. Tim Davis, maybe? I could I could be wrong with the first name. I think it was Davis. It was a few years ago.
1: I was just curious. Because, um I'm so old. I probably interviewed him. Okay, uh let's move along and uh we will talk more with Mike Rodak uh, of Bama twenty four seven on the other side of this break. Hey,
7: M-
0: Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of sunshine this afternoon. The high in the mid to upper 80s at 87. Clear and pleasant tonight below 64. We stay dry tomorrow and Friday. Lots of sunshine both days as the weather heats up again. The high tomorrow, 90. The high Friday, 94. I'm James Fan on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on
4: Tide 100.9. It's 84 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports.
1: And our guest is Mike Rodak from Bama 24-7. Hey, real quick, Mike, got a question for you. First, tell everybody how they can catch up with you and uh, read what you
6: literally wrote this morning. Yeah, Bama247.com. Also uh, on Twitter, at Mike Rodak.
1: Um, all right, Mike, stepping away from um, the most off question this summer, and that's about quarterbacks in Alabama. Second is what's going on with alignment? Florida State opted to stay, but they could leave in 2025. What's your take on the future of Florida State and the SEC's possibility of expanding?
6: Yeah, there's a lot of saber rattling. I'd say with Florida State, where obviously they went public a couple weeks ago with that trustees meeting and kind of went around a circle and everybody aired their grievances about still being in the ACC and not getting uh, unequal revenue and you know they feel like they're 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 too good for it essentially. Um, but we, it requires some sort of leverage, and obviously the the leverage I think they want to have is for the SDC to to want them or the Big Ten to want them, but I'm not sure that's true in either case. And um, I know a lot of people kind of expect, you know, the SEC to want Florida State and want Clemson. I don't necessarily think those are the two top schools they would want. It's North Carolina and and Virginia, um, because that geographically expands their footprint. Um, You know, it it puts them into new markets. It, uh, you know, there's, I think, better programs um, especially North Carolina from a football and basketball standpoint that would probably add something more than what Florida State's been lately. So, um, they, they might not have the leverage that they think they do. And the ACC's grant of rights, their, their contract with ESPN for the TV is, is really tough in that it's, it's going to be very costly, I think, for them to get out of it, uh, before I think it's 2036 and um that's that's Florida State's problem right now. So they're making a lot of noise. You know it could be a, a power play on their on their end to try to scare the ACC into um, giving them unequal revenue and giving them more than other schools get. Uh, and then there's also this talk of them going out you know to a private equity bank and maybe getting money from them, whether that's used to make up the gap uh, that they would get from a, a different conference or whether that money's used to get them out of that legal situation but uh doesn't seem like there's going to be a resolution on that anytime soon and um you know i think the sec is still going to be very selective about expanding and if there is some sort of way for the acc to get those school or if those schools get out of the acc then then maybe the sec would be interested but i just don't see it as being imminent or, or something that they're really pushing for
2: Mike, I want to shift to the NFL real quick, and you're in a a unique perspective, or you have a unique position to, I think, evaluate uh, Mac Jones, uh, the quarterback of the Patriots, former Alabama quarterback, led Alabama National Championship, first-round draft pick, and – and now that mac jones uh has bill o'brien as his offensive coordinator uh being reunited uh, with his old offensive coordinator at alabama do you think mac jones takes a big step forward this year um because it it this is obviously a huge issue in uh in, in the northeast and uh, specifically in boston
6: yeah i think that's the hope—that's the expectation a lot of Patriots fans have, and I'm sure Bill Belichick has—and and, bring again Bill O'Brien, and um, almost admitting his mistake, and, and trying to use Matt Patricia as a defensive coach, and Joe Judge as a special teams coach as his offensive coaches last year, um, and that really was not a good situation for Mac, and he took a step backwards, you know, from a pretty good rookie season two years ago to uh, a not very good season last year. So I think the question is yeah you know i think you'll take a step forward under o'brien you know just from a having a better play caller in place And i know alabama fans don't necessarily agree with that but you know i think o'brien is still going to be a, a better play call than what uh, the patriots had last year but um it, uh, it, it's uh it's still a question of how big of a step forward is it just getting back to where he was two years ago is it going beyond that and you know, as I think I said last week, it's it's a tough division. I mean, they're still they're trying to beat the Bills, who are firing on all cylinders, and the Dolphins, who've gotten better, and the Jets, who brought in Aaron Rodgers. And you can still be better with you know uh, having a better Mac Jones this year, but that might still only mean winning nine or ten games, and maybe making the playoffs, maybe losing in the first round. And if that happens, I mean, it's it's a really tenuous situation overall. Uh, for Bill Belichick and and for the Patriots. And if Bill Belichick's not the coach next year, then I don't know what happens with Mac Jones. I don't know what happens with Bill O'Brien. And the whole thing kind of, you know, could change.
1: Most of the offseason, big story has been how Aaron Rodgers is going to fit in with the Jets. It appears that he's fit in well, not with just the Jets, the coaches, but the fans. Um, Is he the answers to bring the Jets back to the Super Bowl?
6: No, <laughs> I don't see it. You're not I don't see it. 40, 40 years old. Um, I mean, you're talking at the most two years, I'd say he's there. Uh, maybe it's only one year. And you know, again, it's, it's a situation where the, you're playing in a tough division and all those teams might beat up on each other. And maybe only one team makes the playoffs. Maybe it's just the bills. Um, maybe it's two, maybe it's the bills and dolphins, you know, and the jets miss it. Like it's, it's still going to be tough sledding for him. I, I, it, and he's also a very kind of enigmatic guy that him in the New York market with the New York media, and they lose a game and, um, you know, they're complaining about him and Rogers is firing back and that's what he likes to do. And I, I just think there's a lot of potential for that to get very messy. And, um, you yeah, know, it's just. I think when you bring in a, a quarterback that's that old, you're supplanting the, the guy you just drafted two years ago, Zach Wilson, it's it, it's kind of desperate. And if it doesn't work out, then everybody involved with that decision uh, could, could very well be gone.
2: Uh, Mike, what did you uh, see out of Bryce Young in his uh, preseason debut with the Panthers?
6: Yeah, I don't think he played a lot. I did see a few highlights, and it seemed like his offensive line was uh, just terrible. You know,
2: yeah a leaking
6: <laughs> Yeah, so he had no time at all and you know we all know bryce like he even if there's a, a guy 300 pounds running into his face like he's still very much capable of, of getting out of the way and and making a play but i mean there was two three guys in his face and he was um he had no shot on some of those plays and i don't think he played a ton i think they they put in that corral um pretty early in that game and you know it's you know with the nfl now it's You know, three preseason games. The first one, typically, the starters aren't aren't playing very much, if at all. So Bryce, being the starter, um, you know, wasn't going to play much, even though he theoretically needs the experience as a rookie. I think they're more just trying to protect him, and um, he'll probably play more um, this weekend whenever the uh, the Panthers play.
2: What's your prediction for how Bryce is going to do in the NFL?
6: Uh, You know, I I think he'll, over the years, I think he'll do well. As a rookie, I don't know if the expectation should be super high, but, um, you know, Panthers are a team that's kind of rebuilding. They had a lot of problems under Matt Rule, and it it could take time. But I do think over, you know, three, four, five years, he he could develop into someone who's, who's capable of bringing his team pretty deep into the playoffs.
1: Mike, great job as always. We will be talking to you again very soon. Thank you for your time. You got it, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Did you see that the, the Colts didn't waste any time? Anthony Richardson is going to be their starter.
2: you see that, Lars? I did.
1: He's been named the starter.
2: Oh! Hey, if you're going to invest a fourth round, or, or sorry, number four overall pick on a player uh, like Anthony Richardson, even though he started about two games in college, uh, <laughs> you got to play him. But man, uh, this is going to be a long year for the Colts. Right. I, chalk it down, right now. I,
1: I understand that you got to play him, but my goodness, is he—he he can't play with a cast on. Um. Anyway, uh, good food for thought as we head on the second hour on Big Noon Sports.
0: WTUG HD2 Northport W265CG Tuscaloosa Tide 100.9 And streaming on the Tide 100.9 app
4: More Big Noon Sports Coming up
1: Back on Big Noon Sports Matt, Lars Justin Jones Florida State did not remove themselves from the ACC. Therefore, they are going to stay at least the 24th season. As 25, we don't know. Uh, Alabama continues to work out in an effort to prepare for their opener against the Blue Raiders of Middle Tennessee State University. The Michael Orr story continues to get messier. Um, did see where Marlon Humphrey, as long as we're talking about the NFL and a foot injury, and um, gonna have to have surgery. So uh, maybe the best corner in all of the National Football League is not gonna be available the first couple of games. And then.
2: Yeah, go ahead. The, I was just gonna say Marlon Humphrey is uh, such a key part of that Ravens defense and and what they wanna do. You know, that he, he's you basically, you line him up against. The opposing team's number one wide receiver, and he doesn't require any help from a safety, and so that essentially gives the defense an extra player, right, to so just uh, rotate around. And uh, losing Humphrey uh, for you know, uh, it, it's not, it, it's definitely not a season-ending injury, but um, it, it's uh, not not a not a great thing for uh, the Ravens for sure.
1: Anything else bubbling in the NFL you want to bring up?
2: Um, no. I mean, just uh, no. Really, like the, the Marlon Humphrey news is is sort of the the, the biggest to me, and uh, and uh, I think. Uh, um, I was a little surprised that, um, Bill Belichick signed Ezekiel Elliott, uh, to a, a relatively big contract, uh, six million dollars. Um, and also, uh, the, uh, the Bucks, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, um, one of their top wide receivers, Russell, uh, uh, uh Gag is going to be, uh, missing the entire season uh because of an injury that he suffered against the jets uh, in a uh, in a um, uh, just a, a preseason joint practice. And I know these joint practices are uh, like they're more and more common. And, and coaches will tell you that they actually get more out of these joint practices than they do, uh, the preseason games themselves because it's a controlled environment. And this is when they will put their sort of ones versus ones. And, uh, that's what, what they did, uh, the, this morning. Um, and, uh, it, it just, it, you hate to see that, uh, um, one of tampa bay's top wide, wide receivers is now going to miss the season with a knee injury i mean it's just uh it's really tough for um for Tampa bay. Uh, a franchise that, as you know, that I, I'm very close with because of my relationship with Bruce Arians and, and Todd Bowles, who's now the head coach. It just uh it, it's just it, it's a sickening feeling when you lose a guy that you're really counting on and uh and the thing is that uh this injury to uh to russell was uh it was non-contact and he was just uh backpedaling on seven on seven drills and uh just tough tough injury for the tampa bay buccaneers i want to uh,
1: jump in and talk a little baseball here for a second just simply because this amazing season continues in atlanta yeah, I make no bones about it. In fact, I posted it last night that there's just something special about slapping New York teams around. And if you're an Atlanta Braves fan, I, I think it probably goes back to 96 when they came back and beat us. Um, I think they swept after we took a 2 nothing lead at Yankee Stadium. Anyway, uh, that's my issue. That, uh, that makes me mad about them. But in the last six games, they have played either the Mets or the Yankees. And they've won five of the six, and this is just amazing how the Braves hit the ball. They outscored the Yankees and slash Mets over that period of time, forty-six to thirteen. Sounds like you sounds like a really good softball team against one that's just started playing. Um, they are that good, and they knocked the ball out of the park. Max Freed is back, and uh, he's showing signs of being the ace that we all know he can be. So, uh, you know, I'm a baseball guy. You know, I'm a Braves guy. So uh, I thought I'd give you that well, yeah, I, I have I, traveled enough around Alabama to know that in Birmingham and in Tuscaloosa, east, west, north, south, there
2: are a lot of Braves fans. Well, uh, I'm I'm a Braves fan, too, but uh, I'm more of a Yankees fan. And I... Uh, <laughs> I don't understand this Yankees team. Uh since July fourth they're twelve and twenty two and after losing uh to Atlanta, they're now sixty and sixty for the season. They're in last place in their division and yet they have the highest payroll in baseball. I mean what what what's happening with this team? I, I Matt, I, I don't understand it. I really I really don't. And Aaron Boone uh, seems to be losing his mind a little bit. The the manager of the Yankees, uh, he's getting tossed out of games left and right because he doesn't know how or, 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 or he doesn't know what buttons to push with this squad. Um, I, I, please explain to me the plight of the Yankees rather than I, I understand you should be gloating. Right, the Boy, the Braves, the Braves are doing like great. But th- look at look at the other side of it. Like, how is it that the Yankees are just uh, getting absolutely drilled <laughs> night in and night out by by, by the Braves? I right, in, in no way, shape, form, or fashion
1: am I ever going to be identified as a Yankees apologist. But I will tell you a couple of things. First of all, and since there's a lot of interdivision play. They're in the best division, and you just nailed it. They are 60 and 60. That's 500 baseball. They should be in the hunt, yet they are at the bottom of their division. So I think you can point in that direction a little bit <clears throat> because of Tampa Bay and the Orioles, you know. They're playing great baseball, and you got to play them more often than anybody else. But the other thing is, and I've struggled with this with the Yankees. Gee, uh, back to like the late 60s. Um, But then they were a little bit more equal than everybody else. But I guess maybe since the Steinbrenner era on where they just started throwing money at everybody and outspending everybody. And as a result, they were beating everybody for the most part. But I think sometimes they get their pocketbook and they go crazy and they bring in these major talents. And then you got the guys that have been working their butts off to get to the bigs through the farm system and you just got a real mismatch between egos and talent and manageability. That may be the the worst thing. Um, Boone's got the worst job in baseball. So, um, I, I think all of those things combined and then I just, you know, and I watched it, I guess it was the night before. Uh, Yankees are just making bad errors. And, Maybe the third thing I'm going to bring out here, Lars, and you know this can make or break your ship, um, chemistry. They don't have any chemistry. I mean, you, you can see it in the way they play with each other or sometimes the play, the way they play without each other. That's
2: and, There's Matt's perspective on it. Well, and then, okay, then let's look at the Braves. Just as a, an organization, um, they have been in the playoffs, I think, every year since 2018. And uh, what has been the key to this recent run of success, which included winning the World Series in 2021?
1: Uh, the key has been Brian Snitker, who has now showed himself to be the best manager in baseball. Man, he handles his talent. And when a guy goes down, he's got another one to come up. When the guy's not hitting the ball real well, he'll move him around. The player doesn't get disgruntled. If that would happen in the Yankees clubhouse, there would be arguments, okay? But everybody gets along so well, from the backup second baseman to Ronald Acuna, who uh, is on his way, I think, to winning the MVP. Uh, he handles all that. And the Braves... And and this is really true. Um, it has been for a while. I, I know back in the day they, they traded for Maddox. I think they traded for Smoltz, and those those were obviously very good trades. But most of the Braves players came through the Braves farm system. Their their franchises. Uh, I know a couple of didn't, like Sean Murphy, the catcher, and um, Osario. Uh, there there are a few. But a lot of them are homegrown, so to speak, and they love Snitker and Snitker loves them. And, man, they respond. Do you, do, Snit- Matt, this
2: is a question. I've never considered this before. But um, do you think a baseball manager has more control over sort of wins and losses than an NFL head coach or than an NBA basketball coach?
1: Um man that's a great question. We could do a show on that. Um in some ways I do but uh I think I can answer the other end of it. They could certainly um cause a team to lose.
2: <laughs> is that Well it's, it seems is like they have, they, yes have they, to the winning? they have more decisions to make, correct?
3: Well, I mean I they're making
2: know. multiple decisions like every inning.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, a, a football coach is deciding what a defense and an offense is every play.
2: Yeah, um, but that, that's it seems like that's more spread out to your assistants, right? I, I'm just talking, like, yeah. singularly with the the, the, the the man or woman in charge. I, 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 I think, I think yeah, they're I,
1: magnified because they're so critical. Do I put this left-handed, you know, closer in when the game is still tied— just because it's a left-handed hitter, now, how do I handle the situation? And again, I go back to what I said a minute ago: when they make the wrong one, it's it just looks so boneheaded; it's unbelievable. But I would want to make those decisions. Actually, I'd give it a shot. It'd be, I think, it'd be interesting. But nobody manages like Snitker. Hey, um, I wanted to bring Steve Irvine back on, as he does often, as. UAB is being mentioned and not in just that, you know, that fake news story, but they're going to the American this year. They're moving a class up, but what's their future? I wanted to talk to Steve Irvine about that. And of course, a lot about college football. When we get back on Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Morning.
0: Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of sunshine this afternoon. The high in the mid to upper 80s at 87. Clear and pleasant tonight below 64. We stay dry tomorrow and Friday. Lots of sunshine both days as the weather heats up again. The high tomorrow, 90. The high Friday, 94. I'm James Spam on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 85 degrees in
4: Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports.
1: And we're back. Lars, Matt, Justin, and Steve Irvine, who has been very generous with his time on this show. We appreciate that. Steve, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm in town. I catch you on Facebook, and you seem to be traveling a lot. (laughs)
7: <laughs> yeah, I've had a bunch of stuff to do. I'm I'm back in town. In fact, I'm I'm coming back from a UAB football practice right now, so I'm back in town. But yeah, you know, it, it's it's been chasing my kids around, basically, is what I've been doing. So, uh, but I'm I'm here for now.
1: I understand that. Um, Steve, uh, one of your former colleagues. I guess you worked with Joseph Goodman, didn't you? Um, yeah, I did. He wrote a column a couple of weeks ago, which we've really never talked about on this show. Um, and it was, he had figured out a way that, uh, UAB could end up in the Big Ten. Um, we know the Blazers are moving to the American, but then I saw this bizarre story. They were going to end up in some new fangled conference out West, but, um. Is the future, the immediate future of UAB playing in the AAC here to stay? Or is there a possibility with all this craziness they end up in another conference? No,
7: there's not a possibility. That that I, I, I didn't
2: agree with that column. I think yeah, it was I, kind of just i I'm with you, Steve. Steve that that, was, that yeah. was crazy. That was craziness. Yeah. I love Joe. I love Joe, but that column was just, what? Yeah. <laughs>
7: Yeah. Well, here, here's the thing, Lars. First off, UAB doesn't have the budget to go to any of those conferences. And the budget, I don't care if you're making more money, it just isn't going to magically have this incredible budget. I mean, I think the move into the American Athletic Conference and maybe with the PAC, you know, with the PAC 12 uh, survivors coming in and, and maybe even some Mountain West and some of those scenarios you see, I think that's very, very possible for UAB. It absolutely is. Obviously, the American Conference is kind of where they belong right now. And, and so I like where they're sitting. I really do. Uh, and, and we'll see what happens with that other, with the back 12 and, uh, and, uh, with their survivors. But, um, no, nah, I mean, there's no way that they, they could even fit into a conference like the, you know, Big 10, Big 12, anything like that. Just they, it's just not there yet.
2: Steve, um, now that you've had a chance to uh, kind of uh, assess what UAB has as, as a team this year in, in preseason camp, um, what are your expectations for this team this year?
7: Well, I mean, I've said it kind of all along. I, I, I think that there's a – I mean, I think this is a team that they sort of – the starting point to me is like six wins. I think they're going to be bowl eligible. And, uh, you know, if they stay healthy and get some stuff that, um, you know, have some guys, uh, contribute that, uh, in you know, some areas that look pretty good right now, then, you know, maybe they, maybe they had a couple more wins. But, you know, I, I do think it's a, a bull eligible team. I think it's a team that's, you know, they can win six games. And, and I think I, I've, I've thought all along that, uh, that Jacob Zeno is kind of one of the big keys here, you know, as, as a quarterback. And of course, quarterback's always a, a big key, but, you know, I, I just thought he had some struggles last year and I have really, really, really been impressed with him in, in this camp. And I think part of it is he fits into what, uh, you know, Dilfer and his staff does. And part of it is he's just grown as a quarterback and, and grown as a person. And I think if he stays healthy, this can be a, you know, a, he'll be, he'll have a really good year and this could be a really good team. But, you know, it's just hard to tell, but, but I do think that it's a bowl eligible team.
1: Do you think that uh, Dilfer is going to be bringing in an offense that will pop to the eye, or um, you know, just kind of like you know, uh, the regular meet and three?
7: Well, oh, I think it's going to pop. I mean, I, I think just from from what we've seen, and you know, our lim- limited chances to really to really watch them uh, in practice, they do a lot of different thing and things and things. And then you know, I, I think the one thing that he said from day 1 and and you know you you sort of wonder if it's uh to sort of coach speak when he says it is you know he wants everybody involved literally everybody involved you know like all you know tight ends running backs and everybody's you know everybody's going to get the football and you think like okay well you know everybody really says that but then you watch them and they really do I mean it really is, it really is an offense built around you know everybody being involved and everybody getting the football and so that's going to be interesting to see Know kind of how he does that, but I, I, I do think I, I do think it's an offense that's, that's going to pop and, and have you know have some wrinkles that um, you know you're not really accustomed to seeing.
1: Wow, wow. Um, who's in the running back room? You know, lost Mac from last year. Um, where, who's going to be getting the majority of the touches from back backfield?
7: Well, Jermaine, Jermaine Brown, you know, who was a backup uh, for for you know behind oh, yeah. McBride, who's you know, who was a thousand yard rusher himself almost. So you know, he, he, he's the guy that's the, the starter. But I tell you what, this Isaiah Jacobs, who's Josh Jacobs' brother, young, you know, younger brother, my goodness, he's good now, and and I, I think that he's got it. You know, I I think he's got NFL potential himself, and and so uh, you know, he's a guy that started, he played at Maryland. First, first year or so, and then went to Independence Community College, and I mean this kid's good, and so I, you know, I think with him and Jermaine Brown, those those two are kind of that, you know, have 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 separated themselves, but you know they're probably there's six guys on the six running backs on that roster that you would feel comfortable playing, and uh, you know obviously I think the top two are those two, but uh it's a it's a crowded running back room, and and that that's really one of their strengths.
2: What's your assessment, Steve, of the uh, quarterback situation at UAB?
7: Well, again, Zeno, I love uh, you know, and, and I love where he's at from what I've seen, and, and I think he's going to be really good. Landry Liddy is going to be their backup, and he's a he's a guy that played seven games as a true freshman last year at uh, at uh, Louisiana Tech, and he was he was Louisiana Tech, I think he was Mr. Football on Louisiana Tech as uh, as a senior, and he. Um, you know, I thought he struggled in the spring and it didn't, it looked like he was, you know, having, having some troubles, but I really think he's starting to come on. He's a guy that, that, um, I didn't go, I, I wouldn't, didn't have a chance to go to the scrimmage on Saturday, but I heard he had a really nice scrimmage and, you know, he, he's a guy, he, he's probably, he might have the best arm that they have, um, you know, in that whole roster, but, but he just had kind of struggled grasping things, but I think he's really coming on. So those two guys, I think with Zeno and, and Liddy, uh, you have two really solid guys that you can really count on.
1: How is the AAC going to fit into Andy Kennedy's
7: hand? Well, I don't know. I mean, that's, I, mean I think, you know, I, I mean, he's built a roster that's going to compete in it. That's for sure. And I I, I think that, um, I think he's going to compete. I mean, he, he's going to be able to, uh, maybe recruit a little different even because I think it's a better conference in, than he was in. And, and, uh, and, and I think, um, I think they're going to compete this year. Now, you know, obviously this year with uh, you know with with FAU bringing everybody back and and you know Memphis uh, having you know building the roster they did. You going in, you've got to say those two are the favorites. But I don't think that UAB is a whole lot behind those guys right now if if Andy can fit everybody together, you know, and uh, which which he's a pretty masterful of doing that. And so I think they're going to be right there with you know, and I think Wichita State, and I think there's going to be, I think it's a good strong conference. But
2: I think I think he'll be uh, I think he'll he'll be among the top every year. Steve, we have seen ESPN and and so many other outlets uh, devote a lot of resources and space to writing about or doing uh, uh, television stories on Trent Dilfer. Are, Are you surprised by that one? And two, uh, just sort of behind the scenes, what has Dilfer been like to deal with? Well, I'm,
7: I'm not surprised by it because any, because all you have to do is talk to him for a couple minutes and see his good TV. I mean, he's, he's really, he's the kind of guy that, that, you know, he'll, he'll, he'll say, he'll speak his mind and, uh, and, and he's very interesting, you know, so I'm not surprised by it. In fact, I think there's, there, there might be some more cut, uh, some behind-the-scenes stuff that's is coming up too that um, I think they're working on. I, I don't have any details right now, but I think there's going to be some of that coming. And, and honestly, I, and I've said this before, I didn't know if I really wanted to deal with him the first time I, I first time I was around him because yeah. I just he yeah. just he was just so you know he he was so NFL quarterback cocky, you know. And, and I thought, man, do I, do I really want to deal with this? But I'm an old guy, you know? And, um, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, I really enjoyed him. I think, cause I think that, I think that's just the way he is. But, but the one thing that about Trent Dilfer that really jumps out to me is he really, really, really cares about people. And you can see that. You can see that in the way he handles uh, his, his players. You can see that in the way he handles his coaches. You can see that in the way he handles media, you know, and I mean, I really do think that. So I've enjoyed him. I think he's, I think it's fun. And you know, as a Ryan Lars, you know this really well. Anytime you cover a coach, that'll say whatever's on his mind and not worry about you know the repercussions of it. That's tremendous. You know, I mean, he'll say that's what that's all this nil talk he's had. You know, he doesn't care. He doesn't care what people think about that if he thinks this to be true. You know, and he's not saying it just to say it and. So I, I think he's, um, like I say, he's been, he's been fun, you know, so far, and and and, and he's a he's a, a TV camera's dream and and really a writer's dream. Well, you know, he certainly knows the business,
1: and he was good on TV. So nobody's yeah. surprised that he would he would make good copy. Hey, can you hang around for a, for another segment with us, please, Steve? Absolutely. Alright, uh, you're probably just driving home So you've got the time And we certainly uh, love having you on So I want to ask you about some other things maybe, uh, Outside the state of Alabama uh, We'll figure it out um, We might ask you about Michael Ower So maybe you can prep on that I don't know <laughs> This is Big Tune Sports presented <laughs> by Haley Fansing UAV so, Union you know, Home almost said UAV Probably that too
2: What? 24-7, you'll find road and utility crews, tow truck, law enforcement, and first responders working along Alabama's roadway. We're
7: making improvements and helping our communities stay connected.
2: We're working hard to make sure you're safe on the road. Now we need your help to make
7: sure we're safe, too. Alabama's Move Over Law requires you to move over a lane when you see flashing lights on the roadside. And if you can't safely move over, please slow down.
2: Visit
5: drivesafealabama.org. Brought to you by the Alabama Department of Transportation, Alabama Broadcasters Association, and this station...
2: Five seven nine two one eight one three. That's two zero five seven nine two one eight one three. Let Haley help you.
3: Nlms number two three zero three seven six. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of RR Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street, across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to RR and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over hundred and sixty five bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world-class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. This is the Big Noon Sports Network.
1: Our interviews are often brought to you by Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker, Advantage Realty Group. Our guest is Steve Irvine. Steve, uh, let's do talk about the Michael or uh, Sean and uh, Leanne Tui story because at first I think it was kind of below the fold, but now it's top-shelf news. And, and, you know, one fires, the other fires back. One, fi- Do you have an overall take on this? It's It's kind of difficult to say right now, so I'm putting you on the spot.
7: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is kind of difficult. You you know, the one thing that kind of in hindsight, when, uh, when, when you're looking at this, uh, you know, and, I, and I've been, th- I've been reading, I've read a lot on it and, and watched a lot on it. And it interests me. I mean, it really does. But over the years, there's always been, there's often been Michael Ower at, 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 at different times has said, you know, well, it didn't really happen that way. And, and, you know, I, you know, I kind of exaggerated this. He's sort of been not outspoken about it, but, he would just throw it in at times, you know, and when he, when he was playing, he'd throw it in at times. And, and he, he didn't really seem from what some of the stuff I saw, I didn't really seem overly happy about it, you know? And, and so it it really kind of shouldn't surprise us, I guess, in, in, in that sense that, that it got to a point like this, but it, it, it there's so much, um, kind of, he said, she said right now that it's hard to kind of figure out where, you know, where we're going to go with this, but, it's going to be intriguing to see where we go with this. I mean, it's going to be intriguing to see if we get to the point where it was, uh, you know, entirely to, to get him the whole miss or, or, you know, I know there's been talk about that. And just, um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the next twist is on this. But, but, but again, I don't know that we should be surprised about it if you really, if you really kind of look, kind of read between the lines at points.
2: You know, my main thing is, uh, I just hate that this is playing out in public, and somebody clearly has motivation to play this out in public, and, uh, you know, we don't know all the facts, obviously, but, um, you know, Matt and I were talking about this earlier, Steve, and and the one emotion that, uh, that grips me about this whole story is just sadness. Right
7: well and, and i agree there and and, and to me too is, is uh, you know as a as a foster adoptive parent um that is what that's kind of that was one of the things i thought of first too is 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 you know I, I can sort of look at it from a different perspective now obviously it's a whole different you know his case is a whole different case than, than, than you know what we've been through in, in our experience and through through it but you know it it, it does 'Cause the one thing that the one thing that makes me sad about it, or one of the things that makes me sad about it, is on the surface it was such a wonderful thing that happened. You know, uh, you know, help save this kid's life and you know, and and make his life better. I don't know, save his life's the right word, but you know, it was just kinda so So I could kind of see it from the foster parent and adoptive parent sort of side of it. So in that case, yes, I, I certainly, certainly think that there's a lot of sadness to it. Can you go over
1: that process a little bit more with us? I know you kind of went into a little bit of detail, but uh, what's what's the big difference between the the adoption and what Michael Orr is claiming? And are there other options? Because I'm, I'm glad now we're talking to you about it because I, I had kind of forgotten that you had yeah. been so generous with your parenthood.
7: Yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, how does that work? Well, you know, I it, it, it's part of what part of what I. Uh, with my case and with our case, that we can't um, sort of, kind of grasp. We can a little bit in some cases, but we can't. I can't grasp the same thing because when we when we got our kids, all four of our kids that we've adopted, they all came to us at a real young age. So so it, it, it's it's a little different process. Not process. It's a little different uh, world when they come to you at a younger age because they you know they're 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 not. Um, they they don't have they're not as set in their ways you know as, as a kid that came older uh, older now we did we did bring one kid in, in into our house when he was going into high school and actually had been with us before and then has and gone back with his parents and had some problems and came back with us so we sort I can sort of see that how that worked there but it, it, it was um it, it's just it's a tough it's a tough world to to uh, you know to bring a kid that's that's um, you know lived you know uh this older you know because again you're set in the, in in your ways and you're you know you know your you know your, your family a lot more you know the ways to that you know so it's tough and, and and it takes special people on both sides it takes special people to bring somebody in your house at, at, at the age that they brought michael or, or into their house and and kind of um you know adapt around him and it takes a special kid To come in and and adapt to somebody else's ways, you know. So it's a um, it's a it's hard to explain the world until you're in it, you know. It really is because because it's easy to say, well, I could do that or I couldn't do that, but but you don't know if you can and you don't know if you can't until you do it. But like I said, with us, it was a different because our kids were so young, you know. I mean, one, um, you know, Ellie, our sixteen year old, came to us when she's two, you know, two weeks old. And and, um, and all of them were, were at a young age. So it is a little different situation than obviously that they had.
2: So e- even though they came to you at a young age, what, what were the biggest challenges of, uh, of being foster parents?
7: I think the biggest challenge is, is um, well, there's a lot of challenges. I mean, I, I think when you're a foster parent, one of the biggest challenges is, is trying to, uh, coexist or co, try to work together with the, fo- with the families, you know, cause a lot of times the families, and I understand this, trust me, I understand that I've never been on that side, but, but I understand, you know, cause they're, they're just, they're angry at you because you have their kids, you know, and, and you go, why do you have my kids? Well, well, we didn't do that, you know, I mean, we, we just were trying to, so to coexist with a family and to sort of co, Sort of co-parent really with with the family until you know until the adoption process if it goes to that um, is probably the toughest thing you know uh, it really is and it's it's tough with the it's tough dealing with the caseworkers too because they have to sort of deal both sides too and and so it's a it's a um, it's a tough little um, you know process there that you have to go through and and we were very fortunate is we only had probably one or two situations where where we we just we just didn't work with the family i mean they you know it just it didn't work we most of the situations we were in we had great relationships with the family and and you know we we worked through it the way that you're supposed to work through it but that is a tough process and i can understand the other side i can understand being the family the birth family and and you know having that the anger and you're scared and you're you know it, 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 that's tough. I mean, it's a tough thing. So I do. Under, I've never been on their side, but but I certainly sympathize with that side. And and but you have to work together. And you have to always remember. And this is not easy to do. You have to always remember. Every decision needs to be because of the kid. I mean, because of the kids, because the children. That's who's. That's where the decisions need to come. And too often, as adults on both sides, caseworkers, everybody get caught up in the adult. You know, hey, I want this. And and that's where you know some problems start. So it's a, it, for us it, it was. I mean, it it, it was. I'm, I'm so thankful that the Lord put this in our in in, in our journey. You know, I mean, I, I was angry for a while. You know, when we couldn't get pregnant, and that's why we went this journey. But I, I'm so thankful, looking back on it, that that, that 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 we were that we were chosen to be part of this journey.
1: Well, we're thankful too that there are people that do that and you just described it and how there's a like a triangle that you have to sit in the middle of between the caseworkers and the families and then gee it's just um, it's amazing that you do that and God bless you and now I'm doubly glad that we had you on the show today because we were able to shed some more light there because of you all right um hey anything new on the, the Steve Irvine front that you can tell us I'm
7: still, I'm still waiting. I, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know if I'm just gonna retire and move on and, get, and be old or if, uh, you know, I mean, there, there are a couple things we're working on that, um that hopefully will come about. I don't know if they will or won't. And if not, I'll just, um I'll just keep hanging out. I mean, I'll keep going to practice and I'll keep, uh, going to games and just try to do as much as I can.
2: Have you ever thought about writing a book about um, your experience being a foster parent we yes there's been some I've, I've thought
7: about it and i I there's been some people that have tried to talk to me over the years i I um I had a creative writing teacher that I um I went back and and got some work done at UAB after I my first time I was laid off and I had a a really wonderful teacher there um, that that used to talk to me about you know doing that, and and I've written some chapters, and uh, and hopefully one day I'll get off my my derriere and, uh, and and
2: finish it up. Well, that's always the hard the hardest part is uh, yeah sitting down and 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 yeah. and doing it um, yeah right, and right. hey I, I I still struggle with that Matt.
1: I uh, just. I guess it's now the way I'm trained to think. Um, would there be legal difficulties in doing something like that? I mean, you, would you have to step around the step and, and work in concert with the parents and then the caseworkers? And wouldn't there be some that said, no, we don't want you to write about us? That'd be
7: uh, tough too. You know, uh, probably, you know, I mean, probably. I, I, I don't know if um, certainly when you're in your care, you know, you couldn't do that. and And, you know, you can't necessarily put names, you know, full names. Uh, but but you know I, I think um I think you could talk about your experiences and describe situations without you know without um, with that but yeah i mean there, there there are certainly things you would have to stay cl- steer clear of, no doubt.
1: Well, um I'll sure be first in line when they publish it because uh, I think it would be a, a remarkable dro- uh, ride as it has been for y'all.
7: so how old are they now? Yeah. Well we have a uh, uh my son's uh older son's nine or my son's nineteen, uh and then I have a sixteen year old, I have a nine uh nine year old and a seven year old. So man. um we <laughs> well, I'm way man. too old Hire this I'm, man. Way, <laughs> <laughs> I'm way too old to have kids that age, but uh you know what, they've kept me young
2: yeah hey steve I, i'm in the same boat uh i've got uh um uh, i'm 52 and i have a uh, three kids under the age of basically seven and uh okay. yeah so uh i need to keep working as well so anybody yeah. <laughs> needs needs a writer I give know. me a call well, i always thought i got like yeah. married very late
1: in life and but- Evidently, I didn't because uh, <laughs> I have grandchildren older than all of Lars and two of your children, Steve. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really yeah. don't think I'm that much older than y'all. Maybe I am. Hey, uh, uh,
3: hey Steve, bio. do you believe
2: do you believe in the um, uh, the phrase that people always throw at me that hey, uh, having uh, young kids will keep you young?
7: Oh, I, 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 definitely agree with that. Uh, You know, even though sometimes they get, they they cause you to get old and age a little bit, I definitely believe that because you can't, you you know, you've got to be young. You know, I, I I can't, I can't tell my seven year old, no, I don't want to do these things because I'm old. She don't want to hear that. So, uh, no, I think they definitely keep you young. There's no doubt. I mean, I, and plus, I think my immaturity has kept me young for a long time, so that's a good
1: thing too. <laughs> I think that's three. That's true of all of us. At least three on this show. Ah, uh, hey, Steve, yeah. God bless you, man. We'll talk again next week. All
7: right, man. Appreciate you guys.
1: Yep. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Uh, Nick Saban had a quote that i don't know that anybody's really emphasized that uh i'm gonna see if i can't work with justin during the break and play it because it was very impactful when i heard it and then i thought i, well, I haven't ever heard that before good quote coming up on big news sports Tide
0: 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. Lots of sunshine this afternoon. The high in the mid to upper 80s at 87. Clear and pleasant tonight, below 64. We stay dry tomorrow and Friday. Lots of sunshine both days as the weather heats up again. The high tomorrow, 90. The high Friday, 94. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's
4: 86 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SCC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big News Sports.
1: Back on Big News Sports, presented by Haley Sensing, Union Home Mortgage. Thanks to our guests today, Mike Rodak and Steve Irvine. Saban took to the podium yesterday, had several interesting quotes, talked about his quarterbacks, and in that, he just challenged him. He said, force us to play you. There was also another one, as uh, he got towards the end of his uh, chat with the media, and he was discussing the role of being a leader.
5: You know, there's a couple things about leadership. Um, You know, everybody talks about leadership all the time, but... I think it's also important that how many guys on the team need to be led. So if you've got a bunch of guys that are mature and going about things the right way, they're all setting good example. They're all buying in. They're all doing the things that they need to do. So they don't really necessarily have to have somebody impact them every day to do the right things. And the more guys that we have that fit in that category, that's more important than the guys that are the leaders on the team because i think that's what you're you're trying to get now there are some guys that have an impact on other players and i think that you know there's a couple guys in the offensive line has provided some really good leadership i think there's some guys on defense that have some maturity that's provided some leadership we actually need it at every position because it's if you have guys at every position that are setting a good example every day by what they do, it gives young players somebody to emulate. And I think that's important. But I'll go back to my original point. The fewer guys that we have that need somebody to emulate, the better off we're going to be.
1: That certainly makes sense.
5: Yeah. that's.
1: Then you have more leaders than you do followers. And they're all buying in. He also uh, went on and said something about practice, and I may not get this exactly right, but uh, he's talking about, uh, the, you know, working out. And um, you don't practice to get it right. You practice so you don't get it wrong. I'm paraphrasing in some way. But, Lars, that just kind of struck me as uh, a pretty smart outlook. Because I mean, everybody thinks, okay, we're going to get this right. We're going to get this right. Well, no, let's already have it right and make sure it doesn't go wrong. It is so – let me just put it this way, Lars Anderson. That is Saban-esque.
2: Yeah, and um, do you think, Matt, that – as we're seeing Nick Saban grow older before our eyes, as all of us are growing older, but, uh, he is doing that in a very public way, that he's becoming more philosophical, uh, and that he's not necessarily just talking to his team, but he's talking to sort of all of us. Is that too much? I mean, am I, am I extrapolating too much from that?
1: Um, no, because I've thought it, um, I, I don't, all right, what do you say? Are you saying that he is, he is trying to solve the ills of the world's problems? Okay, I'm not going to go on this. <laughs> no, I,
3: I, I think that,
1: do you think I he think thinks th- about that when he's thinking about what he's going to say is this is not just going to impact our team. This is going to impact fans,
2: I think he understands that his words carry a tremendous amount of weight. And I mean, think about it. Every time he steps up to uh, the podium there at, uh, at, at, at the Malmore facility, he knows that his words are literally going to travel across the world. Right. And and uh, in uh, in in people in China, whatever, will hear. I mean, and I'm not kidding about that. And uh, we just had evidence of uh, his impact and influence, um, you know, when he went on his uh, European vacation to Italy and uh, how he and Miss Terry were sort of recognized everywhere in in the royal tides. And and again, I I don't want to make this a bigger thing than it is but um you know uh, like did did bear bryant you covered bear bryant in his final years do you think bear bryant understood that uh his words had as much uh, or just carried an impact and, and, and uh, was he ever thinking about legacy when he would uh, address the media or, or, or you know, sit down for a long interview?
1: I think he was more aware of it when he got later. So we're we'll going talk again about the comparisons between Paul William Bryant and Nick Saban. Um, but, yeah, and, and when he was getting into the latter part of his career at Alabama – He would read quotes that didn't have a dang thing to do with football. Um, I have several of them. I couldn't find them immediately. Um, And and most of them were faith-driven. And when you start talking about stuff like that, you're not talking to your quarterback. You're talking to your fan base, and you're talking to the people that probably really need to read it and listen to it. And I think Saban is, is to that point where... And you brought it up very well. But uh, he's to that point where I don't know if he just consciously goes out there and goes, I need to answer this question in this way and use this quote so I can have an effect, a positive effect on people's lives. But I think when the opportunity comes up, he probably does think a little bit about it. Because you know what? It, it's okay to reach out to other junior players. You know, you may say something that you want parents to hear. And that directly or indirectly uh, affects the way they feel about Alabama and the football program. So – and I do agree with you once again. I I think – he's a pretty mature guy when he came to Alabama. But uh, I I think
2: uh, with his age comes wisdom. Well, when you look back at – and you were there in real time – when you look back on say the last five years of bear bryant's life um how did his words change that when he spoke again to reporters was there uh, an evolution that you saw in bear bryant
1: his demeanor would change um because you know coach bryant was coach bryant um Mike Saban, he get a little snippy with you, but uh, the older he got, the fewer that happened. Um, and his last couple of years that I was there, uh, I would even talk to the veterans about it, and they say, "Yeah, it's not a nine day, but he's different. It, it, it's noticeable." And um, I, I don't. He was friends with a few members of the media, um, like a, a Bill Lumpkin or a Clyde Bolton, somebody like that. Uh, Zip Newman, um, Alf Van Hoos. Uh, These were the uh, sage and wise uh, sports writers in the state. Um, But even with the guys that were new, like me, in the television media, which, you know, man, did that ever evolve around Coach Bryant? Um, I I want to use and will use the word because I think it's true. He became a little softer. Is that
2: okay? And... and, um, yeah, yeah and, and and that's I wanted to follow up with that. You and I have had a front row seat to uh, to Nick Saban, uh, just like all Alabama fans have since uh, since Nick and Miss Terry arrived uh, in in two thousand seven. Have you seen a similar evolution in Nick Saban as you saw in Bear Bryant? I should have talked to you for my book that I wrote, by the way.
1: (laughs) Oh, well, that's what they make second editions for. Oh, (laughs) so joking. Um, Yeah, and and again, we went through this yesterday. uh, We were talking about the characteristics and the likeness between Saban and Bryant. And this is just another way that it is. And um, I, I think there was a time when Coach Bryant probably wasn't aware he was the largest person in the room literally and figuratively but when guy when men like this people persons excuse me when they start to realize and they understand and uh coach Bryant did this when he won when he passed pop Warner Wagner uh, Warner yeah Warner he uh he said in the in the uh in the news conference leading up to this that I need to stop and reflect because you guys have been asking me about this and I've been putting it on the bottom shelf and he said because I did not want to talk about my accomplishments then he stopped in the middle of this news conference and he said but I need to stop and that's when he proceeded to talk about the importance of this victory to other people To other coaches to members of his family to the alabama hierarchy and he went into that he said and he went on for about a minute and then he said gentlemen that's all i'm gonna say about that
2: all right this is the ultimate what if question and we could do a whole show on this if nick saban and bear bryant sat down for a conversation who would dominate the room uh, Bryant, because Sabin would probably allow that to happen.
1: Uh, out of deference? Uh, not out of respect. Yeah, that's you know, what I mean. mean deference. Yeah. Yeah, yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I didn't pick up on, on your reference to the deference. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I think he would, and, and based on that, but, but boy, could they ever match with. Hey, Lars, we gotta go. Let's do it again tomorrow.
2: Great show.
7: We're here for Tuscaloosa.